three, two, one. Two thousand one. Two thousand and one. Twenty oh one, they'll say. Twenty oh one, they'll say. Hi, this is Sardonicast. I'm Adam from Your Movie Sucks. And that was a uh, newly uncovered song that was supposed to be uh, promotional for Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, but he rejected it 50 years ago, and it has now seen the light of day. <laughs> and it's pretty fucking funny, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Who else is here? I'm totally going to have to check that out. I was wondering. Uh, I'm Ralph from YouTube.com slash Ralph the Movie Maker. And I'm Alex from IHE, and that was quite a ditty you oh, man. for yeah. us. <laughs> it's really funny. I just linked it I to you that. if if you want to listen to it right now. Cause, yeah, yeah, totally. I want to hear your reactions. It's pretty yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw you tweet about it. Where'd you put it? In the, On, in the Discord. It, in the Discord oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? This is awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my new favorite bad song. Yeah. 2001, they say. And God, nobody said it. They were wrong. <laughs> they made a bold prediction, and it did not come true. No. Nobody said 2001. Yeah, they really focused on the wrong yeah. Well, there was a, another score composed for 2001 that they rejected, basically. Yeah. And and used, like, just classical music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it wound up just working completely. And not that that score is bad, but it, it would have been like this. It would have made the movie age kind of poorly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. If this song yeah. was associated with the film, right, like, yeah. if it was actually in it, which I'm not sure it was supposed <laughs> to be in the movie, but if it was in the movie, it would be like, oh, this is the one thing that you would say today, like, oh, this is from the 60s. Everything else is just, like, yeah. timeless, but... It's just one yeah, thing that no, would hold so back. Right. That would ruin it. <laughs> very, very goofy tone too. Yeah, it's got a lot of dislikes too. Yeah, like the version of Lintus, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny, Alex. So I've got a question for you, and it does not have to do with your oh, no. British heritage okay. this time. <laughs> last time, maybe last episode, whichever episode, hmm. you mentioned you have a an Xbox Series X. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one. So I've actually been wrestling with like the justification for owning one because like I don't know why anyone would buy one and I'm trying to understand. Could you could you help us understand why <laughs> one would buy an Xbox Series X? So I do realize it is it is one of those a little bit and like why would you not get a PlayStation over it? But I I don't know, I've always been embedded in the the Xbox ecosystem. I use Game Pass a fair amount, so okay. I haven't bought a game for so many months um i'm also <laughs> this is so sad but i love achievements and mm -hmm. i can't leave them <laughs> and also like i don't like playing games um at like my work desk i like separating the idea of like play and work so so you just mm -hmm. you don't want to use a pc is what you're yeah, saying yeah although i do occasionally i don't know it's just i don't know i just got one can <laughs> i've been using it quite a lot actually Mostly because of Game Pass, like I played Doom Eternal on it for okay. not to pay anything, and yeah, I've been enjoying it actually. I wasn't trying to be like you know, like this brand <laughs> is always superior because doing? of tribalism <laughs> or something. I'm just like I like Xbox too. Like Halo is one of my favorite games ever, but like all of the games that they're releasing on the Xbox Series X, they're cross-releasing on PC, and so. It's mm -hmm. just like there's mm -hmm. no if if consoles don't have exclusivity, then there's no real reason to get them, in my opinion. And I mean, like, yeah, it's a good thing that they don't have exclusivity because then I'm not forced to get it. But 
Yeah, I get what Alex is saying. But also, like, I, I buy these games and I kind of just connect my PlayStation controller to the computer and I play it on my bed. You know, I yeah. plug the TV in. So I play it pretty yeah, casually, yeah. too. Yeah. It, but I get what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. it's a pain in the ass to play at your work desk. Because <laughs> you feel like, you know, like you're working almost. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. just like a mindset thing. Trying mm-hmm. to just break it up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Instead of, like, spending all my time in one... One position. But you you had a yeah. you had like a an X bone too, right? Like <laughs> the Xbox one. Yeah, yeah, I had I had the bone. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm just like yeah, I the bone. I know that it's backwards. The new one, the Series X, is backwards compatible with all the other generations. But the backwards compatibility list is the exact same as what the X bone can already play. And so, if I'm a person <laughs> that has a PC and an X bone, then I guess there will be literally zero games that come out that will justify buying a Series X. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been I've like bought a ton of games on the 360 and the Xbox One, so my whole library's there. So I think it's just yeah, just sticking to it. If I if I'd hopped on Steam earlier, I definitely would have stayed with Steam. But I just mm-hmm. can't be jumping to all these different. Like, I've just <laughs> got to pick one, mm-hmm. and then like I'll play the PlayStation exclusives. I'll play what I have to on PC, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Just keep it simple. I like stream all my games anyway, pretty much. So. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think it's really more cost effective in the long run to have a PC because you don't have to get new consoles. Mm-hmm. There's usually remasters. Like if you get a PS4, you get a remaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but PC, you just play it. You know. Yeah, <laughs> and you, and just you can your graphics card, right? Yeah, you can upgrade one part of it instead of needing to jump to the next generation or yeah, what they exactly. did last generation with. PS4 Pro and Series X or Xbox One X. It's so good. I hate the Microsoft Xbox titles. It's so (laughs) good. Yeah, I can't stand the way they did it. The Xbox One X was the midpoint generation thing. Yeah. And I just found that to be so slimy and sneaky from both Sony and Microsoft because it was like, okay, they're basically admitting at this point (laughs) that the technology is growing so exponentially that consoles cannot keep up with PCs, so they have to release a new generation to keep them updated. But they they didn't call it a new generation because they were like, okay, people will notice that it's been less than six years this time. So let's just let's call it Xbox One mm-hmm. X and PS4 Pro. And it's like, okay, it's using the same user interface and you know same software basically, but it's like better stats, so you can you know they're like going into the 60 FPS and like 4K stuff, just inching in there, but pretending it's not like a new generation of yeah, console when it might as well it, be it really cannot point. compete There's so many new pc parts are released every year you just it'd be impossible these like consoles have to be in certified over like years and design yeah because it's <laughs> yeah. just one thing got, like, the ps and i hear that what's intriguing me a lot about the um the xbox shit going on is like i was hearing i didn't look too much into it but i was hearing that the series x is that what this Xbox, that's the new one, right? I think that's what it's called. You're confusing me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah the new Xbox. The new <laughs> it looks, Xbox. Speaking of 2001, it looks like the monolith. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I heard that they were doing like a kind of having it so that it was like the reason they were also cross-releasing games on PC is because they wanted to like join forces and be like kind of a hybrid experience and like having both of them is like the ultimate thing, but I have yet to see how exactly that will play out or how they're planning on making that happen. I don't know. The Yeah, I think their plan is to go 
they just want to be on everything. Yeah. Because they have this, like, app thing you can, like, stream games to. Yeah. And, like, they're, they're quite at the forefront, I think, with I mean, streaming tech. But yeah. The internet isn't there, though. The, yeah. Like, the that's wide it. support with good enough internet. Maybe if you're in the heart of a city, Fiber, you'll be able to find internet wired. good enough. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, Microsoft has had that problem where they're... they're ahead of the curve in certain ways where like from their bubble like it makes sense but when you actually get it to the people it can be lost in translation a little bit mm-hmm. like with their awful original um xbox one reveal do you remember how bad oh, that it was, was it was the worst thing ever <laughs> kind of. it was so funny because there was fucking what was his name yeah. like yeah, phil something the fucking microsoft <laughs> puppet uh, phil spencer. spencer yeah and he was out there like promoting the expo and saying like no, all of these terrible anti-consumer things, this is how we designed the console. We can't just change it. And then zero people pre-ordered it. And then they, he came back out and he was like, we're changing the console. <laughs> it's like, it's it's uh, where yeah, like Connect yeah. wasn't like, you didn't have to have Connect for it. It didn't have to be always on. You could now trade your games and stuff. Like all these crazy anti-consumer things that were revealed about it before launch. That just like they had to change it, otherwise, literally nobody would buy it because Sony wasn't doing those things. If perhaps both consoles were doing these ridiculous anti-consumer things, then you know they could get away with it. But yeah, and it was just like TV, 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 TV. Oh yeah, well, use your console to watch TV. Yeah, <laughs> HDMI Instead in of, like, playing games on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, nobody used that. Mm-hmm. I didn't use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So weird. The Kinect was the worst part, though. Aside from how just obscenely large that console was, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it looked like a VCR, like three yeah. bricks, and like, it was so it, it was together. so expensive. It was so much more money than the PS4 because it came so with that weird. fucking camera. Yeah, yeah and yeah. yeah, like that was the the biggest mess. They were try- They they had made it so necessary to use this gimmicky add-on that was pretty much already at the end of its shelf life by the time that generation of console came out. Like, Kinect yeah. was dying. They, like, immediately stopped support right after the console launched. <laughs> yeah. You know? I guess for some reason on the 360, Kinect, like, sold weirdly well. But that's on, like, an install base. Because it was a new thing. Way bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a gimmick on a thing everyone already owns. Yeah. It was also a response to the Wii, because the Wii did the gimmicky thing with, like, motion controls. Mm-hmm. And then Sony and Xbox followed, but instead of yeah. coming, you know, attached to the console and being like, oh, yeah, this is, like... A necessary thing to play the game they were just like oh it's an add-on there are certain games you can play like this certain games that you can play better with it blah 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 yeah there was the playstation move with a camera and a yep. controller that oh, yeah, thing sucked <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was terrible yeah i mean it was okay i think i had resistance 3 for it and then there's like that pet game where you have like a dog and you, you like raise them to be like whatever it, it's like a pet game that yeah. was fun but I mean, that's there's it. a billion it's like it, it's <laughs> not worth four hundred dollars <laughs> yes it's not worth whatever Wonder book yeah it's oh, like yeah. one of those webcam games with a yeah i know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about but i don't remember the title i worked at yeah, best buy yeah. when it was a thing so oh okay and like on the displays and shit yeah that thing yeah. wasn't that great yeah you it's so weird i don't know what consoles are gonna do because they're becoming like more and more unnecessary and if microsoft is now the winners like nintendo because they just went the complete opposite strategy i guess so yeah because it's portable it's like not going for power i think they all have very valuable ip like nintendo has mario and all that shit and then sony has uncharted they have last of us and so if they just put out those games for their console exclusively 
I, I would get those consoles mm-hmm. just to play them, you know? So I think Yeah, but it's well like you're forced way. to. I hate that. Like, I would yeah. too, but, you know, it's like part of my job in a way, but mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. It's. I don't want to have to do that. It's like they're they're insisting yeah. their own necessity yeah. in the same way where it's like, you know, in many areas when Uber was illegal for you know places like Vancouver, it was illegal up until like a couple a year or two ago. The only reason mm-hmm. you would take a taxi is because Uber is illegal. It's like they're actively preventing you from having yeah. the service <laughs> that you want. It's like yeah, yeah, I'll pay for a taxi, but mm-hmm. you're kind of being forced to because it's. You know, like that's your only option, even though there are better options that you should be able to have your that, yeah. that's what console exclusivity is, basically. Yeah, but there's some cool things like if there's like an exclusive PlayStation title, they like use the controller a bit more, mm-hmm. you know, like you can use the touchpad and they actually integrate the use of the PlayStation. That's a bit fine. There's in nothing the game. stopping it. Yeah. And yeah. I also think it helps with like piracy because I know there's a lot of piracy with video games. And I think if a game comes out for like PlayStation or something like that. There's less piracy because people just download it off that that console instead of like going on the internet or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> and like getting it on their PC and downloading yeah. it. I think it's a good like anti piracy measure, and I could yeah, see why I mean, studios would want to make games with PlayStation because they might make more money from that. More people would play their game, you know? Yeah, what I mean? like something like you that. could do what GTA Five did: release the games on microsoft and sony and then yeah you know, work on the pc one and release that one a year later mm-hmm. by the time that like you've already yeah, sold yeah, as yeah. much as possible yeah. as you can on those other two consoles like i have nothing That's against true. that red dead 2 did that too right so mm-hmm. like i don't see that as a mm-hmm. terrible business yeah. model and like the pc version is yeah. better so it's like it's not even that big of a deal if you have to wait for it it's like okay well you know, that's this is like the ultimate mm-hmm. edition or whatever they've already made like tons of money from it so it doesn't even matter if people pirate it at that point yeah, it's almost pointless buying new games now anyway, because they're always shit until oh my a year God. later, until they've like updated. That <laughs> Cyberpunk thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That really made me lose faith in PS5. Yeah, I got my refund for right. Cyberpunk. That, that, that's the new <laughs> console, and then it could like it could barely run on that. It's like, mm-hmm. why would you get a PS5 if, yeah. if it can't run these games? True. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, the, the differences between the Spider-Man Miles Morales PS4 and PS5 were like, unnoticeable except for parts where they intentionally downgraded on the ps4 like they made everybody's hair look like the same texture as like bird feathers like every white person's hair was just like this weird like roughly mess where it was just like what the hell is this and then you look at like the original spider-man ps4 game so not miles morales and it's just like oh nobody's hair looked that stupid before this is like an intentional (laughs) downgrade to make the ps5 version look better Right, that it's game is so stupid. short too. Oh, it was they probably it was rushed bullshit. it out. It should have been DLC. The, hit the console release, yeah. It was it hit the console bullshit. release. That's why. Yeah. It was like a Battlefield Four where they just kind of rushed it out. Yeah, it was really annoying. Yeah, yeah. PS Four, Halo oh, Infinite's well. gonna this, suck. This is a movie podcast, but <laughs> no, I don't mind. <laughs> about... I love talking about video games. Games are art. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah, I play more video games probably at this point than I watch movies. Cutscenes from movies. Sure, like hours. Yeah, that's true. But you skip them, so. Yeah, yeah, I do skip for Spider Man. I skipped because <laughs> they were, they sucked. <laughs> Get mad. The Red Dead ones are good. I don't skip those. I love yeah, those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You like. It's got to be like an interesting story, right? Here, here's here's what I feel about like the gaming industry right now, and I might have said this before, but like the things to look out for and pay attention to in the gaming industry are all like on the indie scene right now. AAA gaming has fucked up so much. Right, like all these big super budget games or whatever, like you can really see the the negative effect that like 
shareholders and like financial interest has yeah. on a lot of these yeah. titles like it really ruins art like we see this a lot with movies right already we see this a lot with every art form but like particularly the ones that have a lot of like hype and right now video games are what probably the most profitable entertainment industry right now like they're insane with how much like likely. market oh, they yeah. have yeah. on like the games themselves and... yeah you can monetize it so many different oh ways. yeah the di- yeah and so like when you have shareholders and it's like okay well the main goal now is to maximize the profits right it's not about the art anymore you're gonna have day one dlc you're gonna have like so many of these things just like watch one of crow cat's videos by the way he's back because of <laughs> cyberpunk <laughs> yeah it's like an hour long that video <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like that one um evolve or whatever i watched that one again recently from Crobcat, C-R-O-W-B-C-A-T, if anybody wants to check out this awesome YouTube channel. Great channel. But yeah, you can really just see how the influence of money can like completely decimate a product, <laughs> right? And just make it like so that nobody wants to use it or play it. You know, you see this mm-hmm. across all our forms. Yeah, and the copycat stuff is bad too. Mm-hmm. Like someone stumbles across some kind of system that works. Yeah. Like Fortnite with a battle oh, yeah. pass, so then it just becomes oh everyone, every single game needs it's to have become this the thing. standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every single basically yeah, FPS or any trend. big franchise has a battle royale mode now. Yeah. Where they charge you a fuck ton of money. <laughs> yeah, now Halo has sprint. <laughs> Woo. Fuck off. Yeah. They're doing like an open world Halo now. It's like what? Is it really open world? Like, what are they calling it? It looks so stupid and bad. I can't believe it. Focus on the story. Isn't that what made, like, the first Halo so great? Not, I mean, the gameplay, mm-hmm. too, obviously. But, like, like it wasn't this, like, huge, ridiculous spectacle. Like, it, maybe for the mm-hmm. time. Like, it, it did, for sure, break a lot of boundaries and introduce a lot of new things to the genre. Right? It changed the way shooters were made. But, like, the core mechanics of the game were just, like what is fun, right? Like, what feels good to play? Mm-hmm. What is a good map design, you know? Somebody's not going to get lost here. Like, But that simple aesthetic is there yeah. as well, with the chanting Very. monks and everything. Yeah. It's like, it was so, like, mystical. It's completely yeah. lost that now. But they cared about, mm-hmm. like, the cinematic qualities, too. It's just like the fucking mm-hmm. 343 Industries yeah. didn't know shit about how to, like, make a story, make it cinematic, or even, like, just make something that looks good. Like, everything looks like fucking... <laughs> roblox you know like they look like plastic lego figures or whatever like it's so weird now it's like well you got 4k 60 fps now like (laughs) that's what matters apparently okay Mm -hmm. sorry yeah speaking of like bad cutscenes, i recently ran through halo 4 again and oh my god (laughs) those cutscenes, man they are they have some really bad like age dialogue stuff Mm. yeah Yeah, i remember at the time thinking it was kind of cool it's just on the hype train for it but <laughs> yeah it's it's really not good has none of that charm yeah i'm just like focusing on individuals now that's why the japanese gaming industry is still like doing pretty good is because like a lot of their games are led by a lot of like creative individuals it feels like more like sure it feels more like either a person's vision or a collective vision from a bunch of people that have the same ideas rather than like a game created by committee sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I played like Yakuza mm-hmm. Zero. I oh man, I'm going through that right now. Like, it's I got so it, much fun. Yeah. I got it for discount on PlayStation. I'm like, let me try it. And it's actually a lot of fun. It's crazy. It's very funny. Like it has a lot of personality, yeah. right? It's not like quite GTA in terms of like what you can do, but it's very funny and it has a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. 
That's what people like about like Kojima and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even if it's flawed. Exactly. Like I would rather yeah. have some like pretentious garbage like Death Stranding where it's like, <laughs> okay, at least it's his idea, even if it's a terrible idea. Rather than just something where it's like, yeah. oh, this was for the shareholders, sort of like, you know, this was yeah, just this was for EA. <laughs> they have that EA Battle Pass or EA Pass where you can get like a bunch of their games, like mm -hmm. in one bundle. You pay every month, mm -hmm. and I looked at it because I was considering it, and they don't have enough games that I think, of course, would would make it worth it. Yeah, like I like Battlefront. Oh my god, that's about it. And even that's like a scam. FIFA, <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> FIFA, yeah, anything EA. <laughs> Remember when they tried to get away with the online pass? So a lot of people won't remember this. Oh, yeah. Or, or maybe too young. But there was a point in time um, where EA was very specifically EA. And I think there was maybe some other companies that were like, okay, well, if EA is doing it, we can get away with Sony it too. did it too. Yeah. Where they were like, okay, there's a big market in reselling for video games because video games are fucking expensive they're way more expensive than movies right fucking at the time it was like 60 dollars. Yeah. now it's mm -hmm. like 80 dollars per game of triple a titles mm -hmm. and so they they looked at like stores like eb games gamestop or whatever they're like they're making money off of reselling the games we want a cut of that too so they started introducing mechanics into their games where if you wanted to access any of the online features of said game that you purchase then you had to have a code that was specifically limited to your account only so if you traded the game then because the code is already on your account somebody else buys a used game then they have to pay an extra ten dollars to access the online features oh yeah and then their mindset in making that profitable was like okay now every single game that is ea has to have some sort of online component so that people feel obligated to get the online pass otherwise they can't use it so in yeah. game series that were already single player like dead space so dead space 3 they were like no it's got to be co-op now it's got to be a co-op game <laughs> so that people have to use the online pass to get yeah right? i remember that and i'm glad that idea failed i'm glad that eventually they moved away from that so now if yeah, you get dead that. space 3 you can get the online pass for free like they don't give a shit anymore because it's disgusting and people didn't fall yeah, for they, it. Yeah, they were trying to counteract like GameStop too w yeah. which would resell games at like exactly. basically GameStop would get the money and not EA. So they were trying yeah, to like, but diminish that. Fuck, can you imagine like books doing right, exactly. that or like CDs <laughs> or vinyl <laughs> or movies yeah. like fuck like it's so stupid and predatory. That's capitalism. It's fucking They're awful. Like, whatever, we need to up the profits, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it ruins art is like the point that I'm making <laughs> yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Mass Effect 2 didn't even really have like an online thing. Of course. Because it had to have yeah. that like pass. There was like the Cerberus network yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. So if you just got a secondhand copy, you just didn't get like some content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had the they had like the versus online mode in Mass Effect 3. And then they had that like weird shit where it was like, oh, you have to constantly like look at some online thing that helps you in the campaign i don't even remember what that was all about it was so stupid oh, your galactic readiness that yeah was it. galactic readiness <laughs> so it's like you had to fuck it i don't remember <laughs> i don't even remember what the fucking mechanic was but you it had was to stupid. like play multiplayer matches and then like build up a oh bar yeah so then you'd be ready to it's like if you want your single player campaign to be good like it's gonna fail unless you do this online bullshit. Basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then they also did the day one DLC for the fucking Protheans. <laughs> yeah, that I pre-ordered yeah. Mass Effect Three, and I got like the 
obviously the day one DLC with it because I was already going to just like get everything for it. And when I was playing through the game and I got to the part where there was the Protheans, this alien race that is literally like the first two games, they're like Protheans, Protheans. But like they're talking about the entire backstory of everything that's happening. It is super important, like this, this super important to the fucking story. And then I realized after I play that part that what I had just played was the day one DLC. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. This seems like essential this is like really important to the story this is like what they've been talking about the previous two games and then obviously it you know come to find out it's like oh it's day one dlc because ea literally just removed a chunk of the game and decided to put on a 10 20 price tag onto it and be like no this is dlc when it never was supposed to be dlc yeah so disgusting that character doesn't have like proper integration into the story as well like it's Mm -hmm. clearly not as yeah i remember finding that so frustrating because he was like a cool character cool voice and everything javik yeah that's right can't wait for the remaster yeah that's sick my brother told me a couple days ago that the first game he had ever pre-ordered was cyberpunk 2077 (laughs) 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 like damn learned a hell of a lesson (laughs) <laughs> yeah, hopefully he learns from it. <laughs> anyway, that's our rant about the video game industry. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, great. I don't mind talking about that. It's fun. No, I, always... I love talking about video games. Yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens yeah. in the yeah. future. Hopefully, things aren't as predatory. Support indie developers. Support indie developers. Jonathan Blow, Toby mm-hmm. Fox. I actually like the the Dead Space Three co-op though. I actually enjoyed that. I guess sometimes it could lead to like good kind of mechanics in a game. Sometimes, um, but mostly EA is pretty predatory, yeah, and garbage. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to be like, fuck capitalism, uh, like I'm a sheep or something. But yeah, sometimes I feel like EA, they've been voted like the worst company of all time. Yeah, it was like, like four years, years in, in a row? row or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like they should stop being kind of assholes and realize like, yeah, there's a balance. You know, make money. People want to support you, but also, you know, don't don't fuck exploit people. And I feel like that's what and, they're like, doing. And like destroy game companies literally shut mm-hmm. buy them and shut them down literally yeah like the battlefield franchise is it, it's inconsistent but Dead i feel like the most dead. part it's got a lot of potential yeah but they you know they like pump out a game every two years hardline is terrible yeah mm-hmm. the new battlefield is terrible the last one had like a force battle royale thing mm-hmm. yeah that was battlefield bad. Five. Yeah. yeah that was bad but you know they got some good ones in there too <laughs> it's wasted potential so we all saw a film that is kind of also a series mm-hmm. called Small Axe. It's like a and bunch of films. Yeah, it's like <laughs> five yeah. Yeah. films. And they're all by Steve McQueen, the better one. <laughs> my second favorite director. <laughs> He's a director, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of top ten lists of the year 2020. And uh, two of these wound up making them onto a lot of people's top ten lists. Mangrove and Lovers Rock. Mangrove, I really understand. Lovers Rock, I kind of get that being on top ten list, but I found it weird just being like, "Whoa, that's really above Mangrove." Like, anyway, what did you guys think of the series? I think Ralph, you didn't watch all of them, but I watched uh, Mangrove, but that's the only one. Yeah, that's the important yeah, one. Yeah, I though. finished it up today. Yeah, I would say there were three real standouts to me. Mm-hmm. That being Mangrove, the one with John Boyega, and. Uh, education oh yeah um yeah i i just yeah i really liked that one in particular i just thought the whole series did a really good job of 
exploring quite a delicate subject and really kind of emphasizing mostly the just how difficult it is to fight any kind of systematic kind of oppression just mm -hmm. really what that entails and how that affects so many different parts of like life whether it be you know the first episode is just about a guy trying to run a restaurant yeah mm -hmm. uh, the the john boyega trying to be a cop mm -hmm. and, and it's all set in london of course and uh in period pieces from like the 60s to 80s so that aspect of it the second and third generation immigrants and everything and the way they were kind of depicted I, I love all that kind of stuff yeah and it's yeah it it just has a really well-rounded kind of approach to the topic and of course steve mcqueen's direction is is very impressive yeah. the writing too is really good it's just it has all the hooks I, it needs. i love steve mcqueen yeah well, the, the direction and the colors and everything is yeah it was really enjoyable i was like expecting there to be like a couple weaker episodes or that mangrove was going to be the main focus but i actually thought most episodes were pretty stellar mm -hmm. in terms of stuff like yeah. released recently it's very ambitious yeah. for him to make like five movies or whatever whatever it is mm -hmm. <laughs> like in mm -hmm. one kind of yeah. package yeah i love shame i think shame's probably one of the greatest movies i've ever seen mm -hmm. so like all of his movies are fucking great so yeah i got a lot out of just the way it's executed and the directing and yeah the acting's pretty great yeah, he's got one I haven't seen. Okay, neither of mm -hmm. you have seen Hunger, right? No. Yeah, okay. Hunger's the one I need to see cool. still. Yeah, I totally want Noted. to see it. I heard there's like a famous long take in it. Oh, of course, so. yeah. Sounds interesting. Oh, it's great. Obviously, the directing is like one of the best standout parts to this series for mm -hmm. me. Like, I really love just his, the creative way that he expresses himself, and I love that he is like really obviously ballsy and confident about the way that he approaches like visual storytelling yeah mm -hmm. every single one of his films that i can think of there's always one at least one shot in there that's like really different and you know usually kind of like a mm -hmm. long one or take where it's like okay yeah you're you're pushing this past the point where other directors would and it's working out because you're doing it differently so like in mm -hmm. 12 years a slave it's you know the yeah. one long shot that's i'm not going to spoil but like really long uncomfortable <laughs> like like wow this is still going mm -hmm. great like no music like it's really obvious like why it's still going it's like okay you're supposed to be there in the moment right like this is yeah you know, this is this is not yeah, dramaticized yeah, yeah. anymore this is like raw right mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of stuff like that in hunger and uh yeah it, watching this series i am happy that it is something that is patient it is something that is like unique mm. and different. I still think Mangrove works the best overall out of like each of these episodes. It feels the most appropriate for its length also. Like it's like two hours, but it doesn't feel like slow or, you know, unjustified for its length. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the one hour, like every other one is one hour. So from episode two, three, four, mm. and five are each one hour. I feel like a lot of those probably could have been trimmed down either to like 30 or 40 minutes. <laughs> Lover's mm -hmm. Rock in particular, as much as I love the vibe, as much as I'm like so into what's going on and the energy and like, you know, it's just it's it's an infectious energy for, for that episode. Like that's the yeah. whole point of it. But I feel like it, you know, the same energy can be communicated in half an hour, not an hour, because it does start <laughs> to feel like really like, oh, OK, this is this is like the whole thing, isn't it? You know? Yeah sure yeah i was more just thrown off by i, I didn't realize it was going to be 
so different because mm-hmm. Lovers Rock is so different to Mangrove, which oh, is yeah. really like about that court case. It has like a real like structure in that way. So I wasn't, I was a bit thrown off by how kind of varied the series is in that way. But I also really liked that about it actually. I liked that y- you get your like really serious, like specific, this is this person, their story, how the, like the clashes in London and the political side of it. Mm-hmm. But then you do get like the Lovers Rock where it's more about the, just what it was like at the time you know a mood piece setting the yeah. scene and kind of like letting you live in it for a bit so you can actually understand exactly what it was, yeah true was being Very talked true. about you know yeah i'll watch that one next i guess mm-hmm. lover's rock yeah i would i would say for all but mangrove you have to it, it's best going into them like understanding that you do have to be like somewhat patient with it like expect something really really slow <laughs> which i sure. don't have a huge issue with but it's like because of it, I wouldn't really recommend it to everybody. I would recommend Mangrove mm-hmm. to like pretty much almost everybody, but like the rest of them, I'd be like, only people that I know like have a good amount of patience and can appreciate right, something. Yeah. Just like I guess for the technical filmmaking elements of just like, oh wow, this is all like really well shot throughout. I love the energy, love the sound design. You know, great acting, but might not the performances. Yeah, too, the yeah. performances, but might not need. I guess like a really structured traditional narrative sort of thing going on you know yeah um i honestly the only one where i i I felt the length was lover's rock which is you know i i did also see it was the one being very understandable yeah um so i was almost like wondering what i was missing until it finished and i kind of figured what it was going for but Mm. as i say with the different episodes and the the different goals i was was a bit confused at first but Mm -hmm. i'll have to rewatch that one but as far as the other ones though i i I thought they were quite succinct in the way they went through. And I guess, yeah, it is obviously like mostly talking like drama, but I guess that's the appeal of stuff like this. Like, they're just like those of really understandable, relatable like characters like John Biega in Red, White and Blue. Mm-hmm. And he's got this really interesting like relationship with his dad, who's like, never bring cops around here. And he like, well, I guess mm-hmm. it's kind of spoilers a little bit, but he like keeps it a secret. Mm-hmm from his dad and obviously the the chaos that comes from that each episode has those hooks as i said earlier but they're all so different from each other it does give like a really wide view of this this time period it's just it is a really ambitious project because then you do have like the quiet like education episode which is about an essential part that people forget about like how important education is it's like really key it's like not as blatantly I guess, like, it, it's not as blatant in what people would expect to be covered by the series, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I think because it is set in the UK, like, seeing the schools and everything and the just the devil in the details mm-hmm. and all the mise-en-scene they put on the walls and everything, it all just felt very, like, genuine and accurate and, like, it was just trying to portray, like, real grief mm-hmm. without hamming it up or anything. It's just very real mm-hmm. in that way. So with this and, like, 12 Years a Slave, I... I'm kind of like I would love to hear Steve McQueen like talk about his own experiences growing up. Yeah, it seems like I mean like if he you know this is like a few in a row now, or I guess there was widows in between, but mm-hmm. you know like it seems like he would obviously have some sort of you know personal experience that he's attached to because this is clearly a subject that he's really passionate mm-hmm. about. Yeah, and clearly a ton of research went in as well. Mm-hmm. Like oh yeah, very... it's very genuine, especially with the dialect too. I was really impressed. Yes, with that. and all the accents and everything. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm not like an expert on the dialect, but you know, it it seemed genuine enough to me from a person that 
obviously just a Canadian white dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Needed subtitles. No, that but... was a really cool detail, actually. Yeah, there's all sorts of different accents because London's such a mixing pot. So, yeah, that was a cool detail I noted down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also noticed because I had the subtitles on, there were a lot of, in every single episode, there were a lot of um, moments where the subtitle would say, like, sucks teeth, and the character would, would go, like, or whatever. And I was wondering if that was, like, I'm, right. I'm like, I would have to assume that that was like a, like a bit of a, like a cultural sort of thing, like more often than. Yeah, I'm not sure. I wanted to have subtitles on, but on iTunes, it wouldn't let oh, me. Oh, really? Reason, so. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it really annoyed me. That sucks. Yeah, it was on uh, Amazon Prime in the US, and then like a week or two after, they released it on Amazon Prime in Canada, but I guess it's just BBC in the UK. Yeah, and you've got to have like a TV license to watch BBC. That's which stupid. I don't have, so. I like buy it on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, have a license for that TV. It's so stu- oh god, it's so dumb. <laughs> and they like send someone to your house. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm really blown away just by like how he captures things visually. Every single time I'm watching one of his films, like whether or not the camera is stationary or whether or not it's like moving, you know, like handheld. It's like every single moment of it, it's like I can feel that whoever's operating the camera feels what's in the scene you know like yeah they feel the emotions there they're adding to the emotions like there's something genuine in the visual storytelling with steve mcqueen movies all the time Mm -hmm. and it always just kind of blows me away yeah he knows when to hold on a on a face Mm -hmm. like really just take in like the emotion or or expression of what the actor's Mm -hmm. doing like that's really that really comes through yeah yeah in mangrove there's like the shot in the reflection of like the rain spattered car when um Letitia Wright is mm-hmm. on the megaphone, I think it was her. Mm-hmm. There was like later in the courtroom where it was just like there's this scene going on, but you just see like under the table of like people's shoes and stuff. I just love like little kind of like creative yeah. ways of of showing things where it's like there's too many directors that that walk into a set. And just think of the scene of like, okay, well, these characters are talking. I'm going to show these characters, you know, just like a, like A, B, A, B, maybe a wide shot, go on, whatever. But Steve McQueen always finds like these like really unique ways of, of covering a scene where it's just like, okay, like he actually put some thought into it or some like emotion into it. It doesn't even seem like calculated to the point where like, I don't even know if he storyboarded it or if he just showed up and was like, you know what, I feel like we should go in <laughs> to like the rain spattered car here and, and do this or like go under the table mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like it might just be mm-hmm. like more impulsive. I don't know. But whatever it is, he does yeah, it Yeah, the fact you can't tell means it works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's like a, a moment in the education episode where the the young boy is he's waiting for his sister like in the bathroom. Like he's just desperate to get in there. And she won't let him in that typical kind of oh, yeah. sibling way. And he like starts running down the stairs to tell his mum, and then that's when she comes out. I just there's loads of nice little homely details like that that really mm-hmm. like make you settle in mm-hmm. to the mood of it. You just reminded me of um the shot, which I'm not really gonna spoil, but let's just say one of the characters is like lying down in a restrained position and it just goes on for like so long. Yes, yeah. And then there's another shot that's like nearly identical that's in a completely different situation and it's reincorporated later. And just like if you think about those two shots, you're really you're saying a lot about the situation without spoiling it. It's like you're saying yeah, so much about like the systemic version 
or the systemic nature of what's being expressed in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was episode four, wasn't it? Which had some cool stuff in it. Oh yeah, and that was I four. Especially like yeah. the that was the one that ended, but there was like a, yep. a like a poem with this the slideshow of pictures and stuff. I thought that was that was pretty powerful, and like a, his advice in the in the cell of you know like reading and educating yourself is like so important, and that you you can't really choose your future if you don't know your past kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, just lots of thoughtful ideas in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the cast a lot of Mangrove anyway. There's like a Letitia Wright, who's mm-hmm. in Black Panther, so everyone knows her. But there's a lot of like unknown actors, like uh, a lot of I don't want to say no names, but people who you don't see as much, <laughs> maybe. And they were more present yeah. in that movie that I thought, yeah, it was, it was cool to see like a bunch of actors I didn't recognize. I feel like if this was a bigger studio production, they would throw in a lot of big name actors, and that might have taken me out of it a little. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I like the villains of Mangrove too. They were just like completely unredeemable pieces of garbage. Yeah, yeah. to the point where it was like sometimes cartoonish, but I mean, like not to say that those characters wouldn't exist. Yeah, but also, you know, that's that's the way it was. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah, 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 exactly. They were just pieces of shit. There's no reason for that kind of racism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Uh, they were well played. Like the actors who played Mm -hmm. them were really good. Yeah. Man, I was so impressed by Letitia Wright because, like, Black Panther doesn't really give somebody that much <laughs> to, to work with. <laughs> yeah, but I was I like, was too. I thought she was really good. Yeah, she yeah, was awesome. Exactly. And then she mm-hmm. went on some crazy fucking religious anti-vex rant and deleted her Anti-vex social media. Thing. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, nice. Good acting, I didn't though. know about that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good acting. Yeah, she did her job. <laughs> <laughs> She's a religious nut. <laughs> good actor, though. Good acting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, everyone's on their A-game, obviously, when they're put on a project like this. I really loved the characters in it. I think that every episode had some characters, at least, that were, like, really relatable and really memorable, Mm -hmm. and, like, their goals were really clear sort of thing. Yeah. It was all, like, in terms of characters especially, it was all really watchable. Like I said earlier... I do wish that some were half an hour long and not an hour long. I think that would have helped it for me, but still, very mm-hmm. ambitious. Yes. It is a big time investment, which yeah. is why I haven't watched all of them yet. But I will eventually. They sound interesting. It's a big time investment to watch, but also a big time investment to film. I wonder how he filmed it. I wonder if he yeah, took the same yeah. approach that he did with like all of his other like actual films or if he treated these more like like a rushed schedule sort of thing like i wonder what the budget was for all of these it doesn't feel rushed as the thing oh yeah would i mean it could have been rushed without feeling yeah. rushed like if someone's like mm-hmm. just that talented of a director yeah. they know you know do you think that's why mangrove so much longer you just got tired <laughs> no i think i mean it's the pilot usually like tons of series will have like pilot episode is longer sort of thing even BBC was advertising this as like five new films from Steve McQueen. So, I mean, I think the pilot was longer just because it was a better story than the other ones. And there was more justification to make it like an entire film. Yeah. And yeah, I think like even if it was released as a an actual film in the same way that uh, what was that fucking uh, Sorkin one? Mangrove probably would would have been like really well received. Like, there were enough people that liked that Aaron Sorkin courtroom thing <laughs> that came out at a very similar point in time. I didn't bother that with recent? that one, though. 
Yeah, I didn't even see that. Trial of the Chicago Seven, I think it's called. Oh, I didn't. Even, I didn't know we wrote that. Yeah, written and directed Aaron Sorkin. Wow. Got Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne. It just like I saw the trailer and I was like, ah, eh, this looks like too many other <laughs> one of these, you know. And then I read some articles <laughs> later, which who knows, maybe you know, I haven't seen the movie, so it might just be full of shit. But I read some articles later, just being like. Mangrove succeeded where Trial of the Chicago 7 failed sort of thing. And I don't know. A lot of yeah. my watchers, people in my Twitch chat were saying it was like kind of cheesy formulated sort of thing. It just like it gives me the overwhelming impression mm-hmm. of like an Oscar Beatty movie. Yeah. Whereas Mangrove doesn't feel that way. Like It feels more like a soulful passion project sort of thing. I don't know. But yeah, I haven't seen Chicago yeah. 7. I guess I'll watch it before the Oscars because it's probably going to get nominated for something. Oh, yeah. The Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were even more relevant this year. Well, now it's like there was this (laughs) whole... I guess we're done talking about small acts, right? What are we giving it? I'm giving Mangrove an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I would rate Mangrove 4 out of 5 or 8 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I rated every episode a a 4 star, Mm -hmm. an 8 out of 10. Yeah. I really enjoyed the experience, got a lot out of it. Yeah. Not... uh, I don't have as strong of a opinion on my rating on the rest of them um i would just say overall series is like seven or an eight but mangrove specifically at least it's it's a pretty comfortable eight might be higher next time i watch it but yeah it'll probably make my best of the year list anyway yeah Mm. the oscars (laughs) what are they doing this will this will be like the first year where like they're basically forced to nominate only streaming movies (laughs) they're pretty much (laughs) yeah Yeah, which is kind of cool they were trying so hard beforehand to like not legitimize streaming services and now it's like suck on it steven spielberg fuck you so it's still happening then i guess i just assumed they'd they'd canceled it no 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 um like six at least six months ago it was like so early in the pandemic even it might have been even earlier it might have been like fucking march of last year i don't remember but at some point in 2020 they made an announcement saying that the oscars would still be happening but they would delay it until i think april instead of usually the oscars would take place in i think february march so the oscars are taking place like at the end of april or something i don't remember the exact date but what really pisses me off about it is they were like yeah and we're also extending the eligibility by like two months so movies released in like February and March of 2021 will be eligible for the 2020 Oscars, which I think is fucking stupid and bullshit because even if oh. like, yeah, whatever, there were a bunch of like big budget Marvel movies that had to get pushed back and stuff due to the pandemic, like, or even some Oscar Beatty like studio things like there's no shortage of really great movies that came out in 2020. Like there's still lots of great yeah. fucking shit, you know? And this was evident like even as far back as when they announced that they would be extending the eligibility for the Oscars. So I'm really pissed off about that because like it really just shows that they're not aware <laughs> of these smaller movies that are yeah. like coming out yeah, they just or that they mm-hmm. don't want to give them like legitimacy, <laughs> right? That they have to play yeah. the fucking game and have, you know, a big studio campaign for your consideration like fucking Disney does. Like yeah. What's wind- going to wind up happening is like Soul's going to get nominated for like Best Picture because they'll be like, well, there are just no other movies that came out. Bah, bah, bah. And they'll pretend like it was justified. <laughs> but that really pisses me off because there was tons of great mm-hmm. stuff in 2020. You just have to like be somebody that's passionate about movies, which the Academy apparently isn't. 
Yeah, if you want to win an Academy Award, you need an Oscar campaign, which Excessive. costs a lot of money. Yeah. And it's usually Warner Brothers or Disney who can afford that kind of thing mm -hmm. and not the small studios. So they never get anything. And that's why it's like, I don't want to say it's rigged, but it's, it's bullshit. It's not the real best movie of the year. And it, and this kind of shows there's, it. There's a barrier. Yeah. Everything's like, like a, that. Every award thing. gatekeeping. Yeah. They're like, out of these movies that are made within the system, this is the best one. Mm-hmm. But not out of the yeah. That's year. exactly how it feels. Yeah, it's a system. I was looking at the um, submission guidelines for the um, Juno Awards, so like Canadian equivalent of the Grammys. And I don't watch them. I'm not like super familiar with them. Like I don't know. I was thinking like, okay, I released an album. You know, I have somewhat of an online following. Maybe you know, if I include that kind of stuff, then I could be considered for like a best new artist nomination or something. You know, it's Canada, like mm -hmm. there aren't that a lot mm -hmm. of things coming out anyway. But then when I was looking through like the actual application process, there are just so many things where it's just like, here's the spot for your like agent and your publicist. But like, it's like they didn't even consider that somebody could be making music that doesn't have an agent or publicist or anything. It's just like, why is there no yeah. option for none? <laughs> it's like, you're this is really just a fucking club. And I was like, kind of disappointing just to see like, yeah, even in even for the fucking Juno Awards, this is like some bullshit thing. You know? Yeah, I'm not trying to say like, oh yeah, I deserve the fucking Juno Award. It was just like, you know, yeah, like how are you supposed to get credibility if you don't have an agent? But to get an agent, you need credibility. To, yeah, like, sort get, of thing. To get yeah. a good one. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a. It's like you just have to. It's hard. Apply for an agent and get exploited ninety percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and hopefully in the long run you'll make money. Yeah. Yeah, it's a horrible circle joke. Yeah, it's a really annoying system that's set up that really just prioritizes and favors like these. It's the same thing with like YouTube, you know, like you're on a network and you have mm -hmm. you know, more commute lines of communication with uh, YouTube as a platform. It's like they just don't like the idea of individual users. And I guess it's just the same thing with any sort of arts or entertainment, big business mm -hmm. sort of thing. You always have to go through middlemen. Yeah, it becomes an illustrious club. Yeah. Yeah, especially. Really annoying. So we also saw another film. It was my recommendation called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And I already forget the French title. It was like Le Chambre Papillon or something like that. Yeah. The film is directed by Julian Schnabel. And the reason why I didn't do a an attempt at a French accent when reading his name is because uh, he actually learned French to make the film. Oh, wow. Is that uh, it was supposed to be an American film first, and he decided, no, this is a French story. I want to tell it in French. Obviously, from the source material being French, he decided the French language, there was so much poetically going into it that he, you know, it, it would do it justice if it was in the language that the story was actually told in. Yeah, that's really good. Anyway, this is one of my yeah. favorite movies. I watch it every so often. And, uh... What did you two think of it, first-time watchers? Alex, I don't know what you thought of it. Yeah, it's, it's very impressive. I thought it was very, very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was very good. I really enjoyed it a lot. Spoiler discussion. Yeah, spoiler discussion. I heard about this film before from just the opening scene, or the mm -hmm. opening first 10 minutes, where it's kind of told from the main character's point of view, like first person. And there's this really interesting effect they do where he's like kind of fading in and out of consciousness, mm -hmm. you know, and there's this like distortion of the lens almost. And that's yeah. accomplished by um, like they kind of lock when you when you put a lens on a camera, you got to like lock it into place. Yeah, they like, but they kind of they kind of like just hovered it over 
the sensor. Mm-hmm. So there's this distortion that uh, makes it feel like yeah. very, yeah. And then we learned that I learned about this in, in school and they show the scene because it's like one of the most, I think, effective examples of it. Mm-hmm. It is very effective. Like the way they put you in this guy's perspective and yeah, it's incredibly purposeful. Yeah. And I think the first 20 minutes of this movie was like absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And once it gets into the more, it's definitely more kind of conventional, the, the rest yeah. of the story, how it's told. But I still really enjoyed it. I just think it's the first 20 minutes that were really stuck. It's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah. It's a really high bar. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so creative. Yeah. It really, really does put you in his perspective. And it's so like claustrophobic and the narration and everything. It is just such a creative, like minimalist way of doing a sequence like that. Yeah. Or an idea like that. Like following through on an idea like that. Because you say, it's quite illuminating you saying about the 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 director learning French and everything and, and really committing to the mm-hmm. story and everything. Cause I was shocked that it was based on a real person. Yeah. Um, I yeah. somehow missed that. I did like no research before watching the yeah. end of the credits. It's like, Oh yeah. yeah. So I was, cause I assumed it was like, uh, you know, it was fictional. Yeah. I wasn't it. super aware of like the yeah. story or the book before watching it either. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I kept thinking this could be one of those stories that could be really Hollywood and lame and they almost mock it. In, in that scene where he's saying about like like because he's a writer himself mm-hmm. so he says like I, I thought of an ending where he's like oh, i wake up in my bed but it was all a dream and he's mm-hmm. like, yeah. says to oh fuck <laughs> like this kind of idea because that that in like the early sections of the movie I, i'm always like thinking like how based on what they've set up in like this first act how is this going to conclude and i always have like the worst idea of like the worst possible ending and like him <laughs> doing that would be the worst ending so i thought that was that was funny that it came up they also had like kind of moments in the editing where they were kind of mocking that sort of thing where it's Mm -hmm. like the um yeah like the uh that song that was playing is like don't kiss me goodbye baby and it's just like this like really sappy ish kind of like almost Mm -hmm. it it seemed like it was going to go into like a montage and conclude but then it's just like hard cut back to reality and then it's just you know, it's like, yeah, the oh, this is, this is, this is like horrendously depressing. <laughs> oh, oops. This is like, mm-hmm. oh, there goes gravity. Yeah. It's a very interesting film considering the main character doesn't move or talk. Oh yeah. <laughs> for, for most of it. And yeah, that's pretty impressive too. Uh, the filmmaking techniques he used mm-hmm. to keep it interesting. Yeah. And also, also like the performance that goes into that when you're limited <laughs> to pretty mm-hmm. much just like moving your eye is like yeah. the amount of expression that you're limited yeah, to just doing narration and uh, Mathieu Emelric really pulls it off like you can yeah. tell like there's a moment in the um when his father calls him and he realizes that that's who's calling like you can see in yeah his eye that he's like really upset and like emotionally like stabbed by it in a way where like he wasn't ready for it and you can tell he's like trying not to cry despite the limitations of what he's able to show as an actor but you can see it perfectly and i think that's really impressive yeah that was Mm -hmm. a great scene the phone call Mm -hmm. and like not knowing how to handle communicating with him because and you don't even get much time really with his dad it's only Mm -hmm. like the shaving scene earlier on but that's all you need like the, the actors really carry it through that and just it's such an extreme scenario mm-hmm. like it has it's so much innate emotion there's so much drama in there um so i was reading the 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 main change that was made to the story apparently 
from the real life one is that the the woman who was by his side was was more so his his lover as as opposed to the the mother of his child so i think mm. in, in reality those roles were switched a bit more oh yeah um, I, I think the reason they did that is because i guess it does add for the drama and that mm-hmm. payoff scene in terms of like the emotional resonance of it where he's his the 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 mother of his children has to like translate his blinking into like a love message yeah yeah <laughs> which is like so it's pretty heavy stuff yeah. like going on in this movie the interplay between the characters like it is just a he's like an illustrious man everyone loves him and then it is just one day everything's kind of taken away from him and, and his inner realization of that that's what i love about the narration in it mm. and and him being a writer too so mm-hmm. you can have the that kind, that kind of dialogue, you know, the, yeah. the writer's voice, where he's so necessary. Yeah, exactly. A film like this makes you appreciate like your life, like oh, I can move, I can walk, I can yeah. <laughs> do all these amazing yeah, things. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the point of the story in some way. It makes you appreciate your own life. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know what you have until you lose it, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it isn't. I, I was actually thinking like if this scenario of locked in syndrome and being able to like blink. Or, or just move one eye and that's it. If this had happened to somebody, let's say current year, there would probably be a better range of more efficient communication because of yeah, technology. Because that. we have we have eye tracking now, <laughs> so you could literally mm-hmm. just set up a like he could yeah. probably be typing out messages independently just by looking at certain places on a keyboard, like a you know on a screen or something. Because eye tracking exists, so why not? But like going mm-hmm. through that process of, I don't really remember when it was set, but obviously probably around the year 2000 or something, something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. I'd mm-hmm. have to look up the actual event. But anyway, yeah, the limitations of, you know, needing somebody to be by your side dictating what you're trying to say and just going through the letters of the alphabet in in order of the frequency of use, which is also clever how they were doing that. And I love also that they were touched on like, the proper and improper ways to do it. Like his friend shows up and he's like, oh, you're not even looking at me. And, you know, yeah. the person yeah. that's hired on to do it for his book, you can tell that she's reading it slower as she's starting out than the speech therapist that was working with him earlier. You know, at this point in the movie, she's like, uh, out, uh, like, bam, 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 bam. Like she does it so many times she's comfortable with it. I love that they touched on that in terms of like what's practically happening for this character. Yeah. Yeah, it also gets you in with just the little details, like the fly on the nose. Mm. And... That was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the the things that pop into your mind when you empathize with a character like this and imagine yourself in their shoes, like is it is horrifying. But that was another thing I found kind of impressive about it was the way it was able to balance that tone because it is such a such a bleak story, mm-hmm. but through the personality of the characters and through that narration, it's able to. I don't know. It's weirdly inspiring, and in, in in that way, like I, I didn't come away like heartbroken and yeah. like I'd had something wrenched from me. It was it gave me a different perspective, if anything. There are funny points for sure. There's yeah. a lot of yeah, yeah relief in the movie. Yeah, that I enjoyed. And he's also like I love <laughs> they kind of give him like this kind of like pervy character too. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much yeah. of this was like <laughs> in his in the real person's book, right? So maybe like there was a mm-hmm. bit of that kind of like cheekiness, also. Yeah, you never know if that. Well, I mean, you could know just by reading the book, but I ain't got time for that. So <laughs> I don't know how much of that is true from yeah. the actual real life character versus like what they put in the film. It's, yeah, it's also reinforced a bit too in 
in the the dad scene with the shaving yeah. they're talking about their their escapades mm-hmm. aren't they with the lovers yeah, and... all their affairs they've had <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 a big conflict in his life was like all the relationships he had with these different women mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah the drama was only escalated by the, the tragedy i will say that one criticism i do have of the film is that the amount of women in his life these characters a lot of them look kind of similar and so if this is like your first time watching it it's like a bit more confusing i don't know if you guys felt that way at all but i feel like there was a lot going on like there's there's a lot of these characters and they all have like very yeah i did feel that maybe but i also felt that was kind of the point like maybe that was his type the the film doesn't like super explicitly like hammer down what exactly each one of their relationships is like in a super clear way like you kind of have to sure like, figure it out by watching at some points but or just like you know paying more attention mm-hmm. did did you feel the same way too i guess yeah some way yeah there's definitely a lot of conflict going on with the with the women in his life mm-hmm. i didn't take it as pervy as much as like you know he was a uh, a man locked in his body and all these like sexual urges he had like couldn't be fulfilled mm-hmm. and i found it quite funny like you know the, yeah, he just yeah, couldn't ever that. continue <laughs> with these uh mm-hmm. kind of romantic relationships he had it would only it would only go to a certain point mm-hmm. this was left in the the question thread but mm-hmm. I, I won't ask the question associated for it but it's just an observation by uh, assad a basic lurker said the diving bell in the butterfly has very specific instances of green and blue that visually express the main character's mindset. Green will often reflect moments of positivity and healing, while blue seems to demonstrate moments of negativity, distress, confusion, or apprehension. The main metaphor in the film is that of a diving bell sinking to the bottom of the sea, with mm-hmm. the main character trapped inside. As it follows, water, especially in large bodies, can tend to be greener towards the surface by virtue of sunlight and darker blues as you get further into the depths. Mm-hmm. I'm totally mm-hmm. over the moon that you guys are talking about this film. And it, yeah, it, do, it is a really interesting in the way it use the, uses the colors yeah. to, to accentuate totally. the, that claustrophobic feel. That's why they got the icebergs, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, too. Mm. That, too. Yeah, I just thought that was a nice uh, comment. Yeah, the icebergs were cool. I love the way the film ended, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's, uh, it was just very sudden. Yeah, they're reversing. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, the reversing of the iceberg footage, and just the way it just kind of stopped. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't need much more <laughs> at that point because yeah. like you don't want right. to force yeah. it to go into a direction that would be. Really but it leaves lame. you wanting more. You're like, oh, that's it, and and that's that's a good feeling, I think. Then like, will this fucking end already? <laughs> like you know, ten minutes before the movie's <laughs> <Yeah>. over. <laughs> yeah, I really liked the score oh. and the music choices for the soundtrack too. I feel like it yeah, was all really appropriate. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the credit song. That was one I already knew. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I chose Strummer. Mm. Do you think there was much reason for those song choices? Because some of them I weren't too crazy about. Some of them were mm-hmm. kind of cool. But... <laughs> um, I don't know. I just I, I felt like it was fitting. I felt like it was appropriate for the most part. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Nothing really like took yeah. me out in terms of the song choices. I feel like the like the opening scene, The I don't know if the song is just called La Mer. Or whatever it is, but like mm-hmm. that, like super old, especially with the visuals of the opening titles, of just like really, it kind of mm-hmm. gave me like an mm-hmm. uncomfortable, almost like how Lars von Trier does his opening title sequences sometimes, you know? Sure. Where it was just like kind of like eerie and creepy, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. I really like juxtaposed emotions in a way where it's like the song is kind of you know, 
yeah. little, on its yeah. own, the song is like kind of like a little happy-ish. You know, there's nothing sad about the mm-hmm. song, but just because of how it's used, it's you know, there's there's some mm-hmm. negative emotion to it that's kind of brought out by it existing at the same time. If that yeah. makes sense, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. I always felt like I was locked in his experience, even when the camera mm-hmm. wasn't directly his POV. Mm-hmm. And like even the music choices, I felt like it was his kind of imagination. What they make a they make a point of his imagination. Oh yeah, like just kind of filling in the soundtrack for his own movie with songs he likes, you know. And in that way, I th- I thought the, the song choices were appropriate. True. Like every kind of element of the movie was his kind of journey. Mm-hmm. So as we were saying, like the first 20 minutes of this film are like really hard to beat. <laughs> like the first act. Um, <laughs> it's a great like short oh, film it's awesome, in of yeah. itself. But yeah. I wonder like if let's say if let's say somebody wanted to make the entire movie like that. I wonder what that would be like, <laughs> you know, it might be a bit much. It's like enter the void. Yeah, would it, well, like here's the question is, would it be too much by the end of it i guess or like how would they do a lot of like practical maybe enter the void's a good example to bring up i guess but i mean you're also like kind of omniscient in that movie too weirdly enough um yeah that movie gets very trippy (laughs) the british sitcom peep show oh yeah like the gimmick of the show is that it's from the perspective of like the characters so they'll have like a camera strapped to their head so it was weirdly reminding me of that at first, but th- that was like a problem with the first season of that show. It's like a kind of out there idea. So it did feel a bit much because every, yeah. every episode, like every shot was like a point of view from the characters shot, like strapped to their heads. So yeah, I, I don't know if it would really work filling out for the whole movie. I, I actually love the way it like broke up the pace mm-hmm. going to different scenes and the the variation of stuff, real great like showing instead of telling with all those kind of dreams and descriptions of things. It's yeah, mm-hmm. really made the most of it. Yeah, it was very, very poetic overall and also really, really great editing. This is one of those where mm-hmm. it's like the editing is mm-hmm. also like super noticeable, but it's like it works for what it's doing. Yeah. You know, like as I mentioned before, like there are a few points where like the music does like the hard cut, which I really like, especially for this type of film. Yeah. Yeah. It's trying to balance these different emotions. Oh, yeah. There was that uh, really great transition where um, he blinked for yes when he was learning like the yes and no commands from his perspective. And it, like the the blink covers the screen. And then when the eye opens, it's like. He was answering the question, are you the editor for the magazine L? And he blinked once for yes, and then the eyelid opens, and then it's like from behind his head in the past now, and it goes into that scene where he's like, yes, I was the, you know, now it's a flashback for him as the editor for the magazine L. It's like, that was not only very creative in terms of how it was done visually, but like at that moment in the story also, where it's like, oh, you're transitioning, this is his memory, you know, like we are still inside his head technically, kind yeah, of, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. good point. Really, really mm-hmm. purposeful and well thought out. Totally, yeah. How did they do the shot with the doctor sewing up the eye? Oh, that's just like a... <laughs> oh, yeah, that they was used sick. Like a, like a prosthetic. Yeah, prosthetic, you know, something looks <laughs> looks like an eyelid or whatever. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was awesome. It's like it's like really grody in a way. It's like really uncomfortable, but yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a good thing that's because what makes like it work, you though. want to, you know, the film wants to communicate how this person felt as these things were happening, right? And that must have been terrifying. That must have been really gross and just like super uncomfortable, yeah. especially with him not being able to communicate that he didn't want this to happen, but. You know, unfortunately, that was a necessity. Otherwise, the eye would just like fucking dry out and get infected. You know, they had to close it up. It wasn't receiving any kind of mm-hmm. like muscle. 
commands from the brain, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the tactical way they kind of avoid showing the main character's face for such a long time. It's these extreme close-ups on his eyes. I was eyes. just about to say that, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what you were going to say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I really liked that. And I, I did just, too. Because it starts like a, you know nothing. You absolutely mm-hmm. know nothing. But by the end, you know everything about this guy. Yeah. Like, basically everything he's done in his life, all of his biggest relationships, his kids and everything, mm-hmm. the, the event itself, how it goes down, it... It does get broader. It's awesome. And you get to experience the reveal of his face with him because he doesn't know what his face looks like mm-hmm. in that condition after the accident. Yeah, the reflections. And so like as he's being wheeled through and he sees it, you know, like at no point were the, the doctors being like holding up a mirror like, hey, you want to see what you're like? That didn't happen. But because of circumstance, just because of the reflection on the cabinet or whatever that was. You know, he winds up seeing it as a corner of his eye as he's being wheeled by, and you see it exactly from his perspective. And it is kind of like a jarring, like, moment, not just to be like, it, it's less of a, oh, that person looks weird sort of like thing, and more of a, because that's from your perspective, like, you're understanding, like, he knows he didn't look look like that before. Mm-hmm. And he's saying in his own mind, he's saying, like, is that me? Like, is this who I am now yeah. sort of thing? It's just like a really, really well done super well thought out purposeful decision that really helps the movie it's all about the experience it's like you're experiencing it with the character which i it, it's that's a great goal to have yeah. in mind i feel you know not just for this film but like so many films it's like mm-hmm. experiencing something with the character if this is who you're supposed to be relating with it at this moment in time in the film then why not you know, have have the audience experience something in the same way that the character would. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love the the scene where he uh, first gets the idea to like follow through on his book contract, and they call yeah. the publisher. <laughs> I think that's like one yeah. of the most like funniest, like satisfying scenes yeah. for me. It's because she was like, um, "I guess technically you have a contract for another book." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it." Even though he can't say anything, it's just the <laughs> speech therapist saying it. And I love how the uh, person she sends to dictate the book for him is literally just the first person that sat down <laughs> in her office. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I've got the perfect person for you. I love that little, yeah, you know, just visual kind of humor yeah. there. What's the lead actor's name? Uh, Mathieu. So like Matthew and then mm-hmm. A-M-A-L-R-I-C, Amelric, I think, or Amelric. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was very good. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, he was amazing. Uh, we saw him in Sound of Metal recently, which is kind of similar, I noticed, in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, character learning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very similar. <laughs> a lot of, you know, coming to terms with yourself and uh, maybe a handicap. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's a few mm. different takes on this, I guess, general mm-hmm. idea in a movie. There's a few different movies yeah, about this. This is a very strong one. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess that's also like kind of why... When we were thinking of Sound of Metal, I brought up that idea. I was like, oh, what if all of it was like, you know, from his perspective? Because <laughs> I really love the right, idea of yeah. shooting something from someone's perspective, especially if they're going through this kind of turmoil, this kind of experience where like you can't just show them doing it. You have to bring it into their perspective at some points in the film, at least, you know, like that's mm-hmm. absolutely necessary. Otherwise, people won't have any idea what's going on, really. It's like nothing to connect mm-hmm. it to, nothing to compare it to awesome movie and yeah the um director credit on this so in the opening titles it just said a film from by julian schnabel and then on imdb it says also laura 
Obiol. I don't know how to pronounce her name. But then it also said that she's credited as creative director. And so she's like, it looks like she's doing a lot of creative director roles. So not necessarily the director, but yeah. On I, Daniel Blake, <laughs> she's credited as movement director, which I don't know exactly what that Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's what she's credited as. <laughs> so she works on a couple of different things. Maybe she was a big part in the crazy out there perspective. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to. Because that would take a lot of testing, wouldn't mm-hmm. it, to like, get that to work? Yeah. yeah. And also, I don't know. So I've seen, I think, one other movie from julian schnabel at eternity's gate supposedly before night falls is really good that's on my watch list mm-hmm. but yeah at eternity at eternity's gate was the one that was nominated for acting from willem dafoe where he played vincent van gogh and a lot of like mm, that's right just watching that what's happening visually i'm like oh yeah this is the same director as diving bell and the butterfly like it's really clear like he's got he's got some like weird personality when it comes to how he's showing his film visually so that much is mm-hmm. consistent for sure but yeah i'd like to see more from him anyway would you recommend uh, eternity's gate i mean is check it out i gave it a six so positive experience overall it's not gonna make my list it's not something mm-hmm. that i'm going to remember a lot but i would say it was worth watching it's one of and i love defoe obviously okay yeah, well, the fun. Yeah, it's got a great cast. Fond of me lobster. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am quite fond of his lobster. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, we have to mention the the scene where he's driving and the attack happens. You know, like that's yeah. that part was fucking. Even it doesn't even matter how many times I watch the film. Like that sequence is just like terrifying, and I love that they mm-hmm. didn't show mm-hmm. it until like near the end of the movie. Like, they could have shown that at yeah. the beginning, but I, I think it's, you know, just so many instances in this movie where the restraint of when they decided to show things and how they decided to show things and, you know, just generally the order is just, it plays such an important role in the overall experience of this film. Yeah. yeah. And the performance oh, as well. It's so convincing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really heartbreaking, it's that moment. Genuinely terrifying. Mm-hmm. Damn, this director doesn't actually have that many movies under his belt. He's got like six or seven. Oh. One, two, three. I'd like to see more. Six, including a documentary. Well, I guess I'll check out some other ones. What would you rate this if we want to get to ratings? Sure. Diving Bell and the Butterfly. I mean, I have it at a 10. There are some things that I have uh, issues with. Like, there are some mild criticisms I have of it. But, like, I just think it's so... It's something that I'm going to keep watching forever. It's something that has a very mm-hmm. huge impression on me and I'll always remember. It feels like one of those important films, you know, that that just should be remembered as a classic and so and yeah, I I have it as a 10 out of 10 personally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um I've I've got this pretty high in my mind. You know when I was describing like what I wanted from Soul in the last episode. Kind of what I got with this movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> A story a about appreciating life and the, <laughs> yeah, I guess the so. main character, he, he goes at the end and, you know, it's more consistent. But It's crazy what you can do when your movie's not for kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I think it just really explored this idea extremely well, mm-hmm. in a very empathetic way, covered all aspects of it from 
you know the spirituality side and the just the that, that scene where he he's first learning to kind of translate and spell mm-hmm. with the, the blinking and he spells out that he like wants to die like that's oh the, yeah early on like a that's a horrifying like moment and he mm-hmm. does kind of learn there's like so many like ups and downs with him coming to terms with it and like almost convincing himself that he's he might like make it through and he has the hope that he might overcome it and there's all the all the great quotes like cling to your own humanity and you'll survive and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff there's a lot to think about it was oh, way yeah. deeper than i was expecting yeah. from the premise and yeah i i, I really yeah, like this from my first viewing i'd i'd give it a, a nine out of ten mm-hmm. when he decided to stop pitying himself and just you know take come to terms with the situation i think that made him a really likable yeah. character too uh, i get why you guys rated it high i really liked it too um very purposeful like you said it doesn't feel like an Oscar Beatty kind of movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just wish I, no. I love the first twenty minutes, and the rest of the film wasn't as strong for me, mm-hmm. which is why I'd give it a, a four out of five. Sure. But I thought it was really good and very powerful by the end of it. Think, yeah. Was it twenty minutes or more like forty? It was like the first act. It was like the first third. I don't know. However long we were just locked into his perspective. Yeah. But yeah. Loved it. Awesome movie. Very memorable. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right, let's do some questions from the Sardonicast community then. If you want to leave your own, head over to the Sardonicast subreddit or there'll be a suggestion thread where you can ask whatever you feel like. Oh, I just saw the name of the first Redditor we're going to answer. Hmm. The Turd Muncher has one for us. Nice. Do you guys think movies should have, have intermissions? Would the movie experience benefit from letting viewers get a bathroom break slash snack refill slash water? Or would it ruin the pacing of the film? I would say no, no intermissions, and it ruins the pacing of the film. I feel like that's what TV shows are now, you know? Like, they have, like, a little intermission. You don't have to watch the whole thing. Yeah. I mostly agree, but my problem is when films start getting over a certain length. Yeah, four hours plus? Yeah, I I would say two and a half hours. If you start going over that, yeah. If you are, like, a four-hour epic, I do feel like an intermission should be in there. Hmm. That that would be the most comfortable thing for me. It was a thing, you know, like fucking two thousand one yeah. Space Odyssey had an intermission, you know. Like... Yeah, I remember it growing up. I remember seeing yeah, yeah the Harry Potter movies right here and really? Europe, like had them. The Harry Potter movies had intermissions. Yeah, yeah. When I used to see them as a kid. Yeah. Thing is, two thousand one isn't even that long. I mean, it's over two hours, but it's not like a three and a half hour. The long Harry Potter film. movies had intermissions. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I remember seeing the one with the basilisk. Whatever year that was, 2002, maybe? I don't know which one that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it had an intermission. Yeah. Do Lord of the Rings have intermissions? Fucking Titanic? No, not when I saw Lord of the Rings, yeah, it I didn't. didn't. Um, <laughs> Damn, I don't remember having any intermissions for like movies when I watched like a decent amount of movies growing up, too. I think it depends on the country, because oh, there, was, there was someone replying to this thread saying, this is Blurry Face 29, from where I'm from, in India... Movies do have intermission, and most of the movies are directed and paced in a way that it's designed to have a cliffhanger, like in TV shows, before the intermission, which is fine, I guess, but when I watch English movies in theatre, it does feel abrupt when they pause the movie suddenly for the intermission. (laughs) While watching Hereditary, the brother comes home after the... Can I say this without... Spoilers for Hereditary! Yeah, from the brother scene after the incident, and you can start to hear the crying of Tony Collette. 
and then it cuts to intermission. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I could see that being it, but I don't think Hereditary is a movie that needs it. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half, right? Oh, wait, no, it's two hours. It just feels yeah. like an hour yeah, and a half. it's probably about two hours. Because <laughs> I remember this, this discussion last coming up around when The Irishman came out. Mm-hmm. And that's another one where it's like, I, I have to, like, tactically decide what I'm... What, like how much water I'm going to drink and stuff, depending on the length of the movie. <laughs> that's a movie you watch. It's a Netflix thing. You can pause it. Uh, but yeah, I suppose that's a bad example because I did see that um, yeah. in, a, in a theater. I saw that in a theater all at once and I really enjoyed it. I feel a huge part of film is pacing and that you should watch it all at once. I'm like a, a Lynch uh, conservative or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you got to watch the movie all at once to get the full kind of package. What if you have a bladder problem, Ralph? Yeah, man. <laughs> Sorry. That's true. You can just pause the movie. Yeah, I, I, I pee a lot. I'm full of piss over here. Well, obviously, you have like some kind of human need to go, go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, go to the bathroom. Bring a bottle. Yeah, it should be made to be watched all at once, because I think that's really cool. I love being sucked into a world for two and a half hours and then just, you know, coming out of it. I think that's much more fun. I know what you're saying. I feel as though it depends on what's happening in the film. If they're like mm-hmm. fucking climax, you yeah. can't pause. You can't you can't pause that movie. Yeah. Especially after a certain point. Enter the Void, you know, it should be all like one thing. But there are certain movies where like even if there's like a lot going on sequentially and it feels like a big, you know, like a greater part of some epic or whatever. There are parts with some downtime, you know, like the transitions from one scene to the next. If it's like hard cut to black, there's no music or anything. There's a there's something just got resolved in the storyline and it's about to pick up back on some other characters that we forgot about. Basically, it's like this might as well be like a new episode of like a fucking miniseries or something. Right. I feel like there are places where you can pause movies and pee without it really like negatively impacting the experience. And it also depends on the type of person, like if. You're easily distracted, I guess, or I, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm able to get sucked back into it when I resume. Sure. There was also a time home releases of VHS tape oh, yeah. couldn't fit a Titanic. whole long movie. So it would be like two. Yeah. So it was basically like an intermission where you'd have to swap out the tape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Double VHS. At Goodfellas or Casino or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. It's just too long. Um, but that's interesting. I guess it just depends on the experience and, mm-hmm. and what you're looking for. But I prefer all at once I, that's the way i like watching yeah films. i don't think intermissions need to be added into movies really but i i don't have anything against them if a director wants it to be there yeah i i, I just think about like i watched the new wonder woman the other day oh yeah <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> how was that so i thought it was absolutely like dreadful i thought it was fucking abysmal um it's like hearing people talk about it but it, it's like two and a half hours long for some reason I, I, not, I don't want to sit there for two, two and a half hours without... <laughs> yeah, if it's yeah. a bad movie, you're going to want to pause all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, but even like um, on the superhero train, like when, when that Last Avengers movie came out, it, it was close to like four hours long. And I, I, I feel like you could have easily built in like an intermission in that and it could have like built hype in the story or whatever. And there are ways to do it, mm-hmm. but I guess they want to... They, they probably don't want to do intermissions because then you, you can show the film less times in the day or something probably adds a few hours yeah of... it takes a lot of time also i don't know as if i was watching something in a theater it, as much as it's like cool 
everybody has time to use the bathroom it's like not really even if you do 15 or 20 minutes like there will be a lineup like not everybody will be able to get in and then some people will get back in late and then it's just like okay now you're watching parts that are like well into the story of the movie and people are just like finding their seats every like couple minutes and it's like that's kind of distracting you know yeah yeah that is annoying get that over with in the first fucking five minutes of the movie there, there's positives and negatives to it yeah yeah seeing 2001 and having that 15 minute intermission people would go out to like the the concession area and just talk about the movie mm-hmm. you know like what what are you getting out of it so far and it, and that was kind of interesting yeah i think that's just what i romanticize i could see like an avengers movie like people just talking about like man iron man so it, it, the story's great so far yeah like theater still does it yeah it is cool to be halfway through a story um it's just what you want i'm not opposed to an intermission at all mm-hmm. if a director wants it okay Isaiah Little Bear has one for us. Could you guys explain what you mean when you criticize a film for being manipulative? I hear this a lot whenever Adam talks about Pixar and Alex talks about Illumination. Isn't the goal of most filmmakers to manipulate the viewer watching into caring for the characters and events <laughs> happening on screen? Seems a bit contradictory. There's a difference between being a nice person because you know that other people will be nice to you back versus intentionally lying to someone and being like, (laughs) this applies to real life too, how you interact with people, right? There's a difference between just like being a nice guy and people will be nice back to you versus like, I'm going to like completely lie and like pull this person's strings like fucking uh, in being John Malkovich, you know, the main characters being manipulated by... um, yeah, Catherine Keener and being John Malkovich mm. is like incredibly yeah, yeah. manipulative because it's not genuine, right? That's what makes something manipulative. And so when I criticize a Pixar movie for doing something like that, it's about how like transparent and obvious it's being. It's the difference between like I want emotions in a film to be earned. So an example of manipulative filmmaking is taking a scene that would otherwise be really not all that emotional but then you add that like tiny little high register piano like music with like a tiny bit of strings it's like a character's dying oh no like but it's it's you know fucking slow death where it's like in their arms but it's like these emotions aren't really earned you're just using music to manipulate people in that way and in many pixar movies it's like the music isn't even the worst part about it it's just how they're writing the story it's like by committee it's literally just like a corporation has figured out how enough people not everybody but enough people to sell their movie will react emotionally to certain cues on a checklist of things that they can add into their movie it's no longer a story that's being told by somebody who's passionate about a story they want to tell and had a really great idea and wants to like communicate something about the darkest parts of their soul it's like a film made by fucking committee and that's what i mean basically what you said but i would i would actually flip it where I would describe Illumination that way. Yeah. And I, I would say Pixar's like the opposite example. I don't watch Illumination. I have no point of reference for that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've sat through a single one. <laughs> you know, those all the things that annoy about Pixar movies, it's mm-hmm. like that on steroids okay. in these Illumination movies, where there's, there's not even like really an attempt to like genuinely tell some kind of story. Whereas at least you can point to Pixar and be like, Coco, you know, mm-hmm. that's a cool idea. Soul ambitious ideas yeah what ambition or like story nugget is there for the minions Mm -hmm. movie Mm -hmm. you know it's that is like a boardroom yeah this thing is popular yeah of course you need to create some bullshit like plug-in 
and they have like their 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 bag of tricks they always do they always have like little kitty characters and they really over animate the cuteness and all this kind of shit it's it's just once you see through the formula and see how illumination does this thing where they have these like b plots that just they they they're, they're completely pointless and they're, mm-hmm. they're just about like either manipulating the parent or the kid yeah. in some way and it's like so obvious I would like to clarify that when I make these criticisms against Pixar, I'm not saying that there's literally nobody on their writing team <laughs> or involved <laughs> yeah. in the production of the film that has any kind of ideas that they want to communicate that are personal to them. Like, obviously, in Soul, Coco, in any of their films, there's somebody on board that's like, oh, yeah, I have this idea. It's personal to me. Like, the the nugget, the spirit of the idea has to come from somewhere. It's just a matter of whether or not that eventually gets molded into this factory product, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's the machine. So, like, it can start somewhere, and there can be people on board that are, like, you know, it's genuine to them. But at the end of the day, it's got to sell. It's got to sell toys. It's got to appeal to kids. And, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't have the character die at the end. You know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like how how much it's molded into this, really. Anyway, yeah, I think you said it just how noticeable it is too. Yeah, well, it's obvious. If you, if you're able to get me on board with your story, because it's you, you're just a great storyteller or filmmaker, or you're doing something fresh and new. It's like the Turing test. Yeah, it's like was this made by a robot or a human? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these all these big budget movies have to like ride the line on the just the reality of the the money side of it like it is a part of it yeah and when that line gets blurred in the direction of illumination is when i start getting like really annoyed yeah you know, when it's just like wh- wh- where is even the, the the you're like forgetting about the storytelling part it's like not even yeah. about that anymore it's just there about, is no like, story it's just a series of dumb scenes and then i guess they get around to the third act and they're like this is when it's supposed to be oh, yeah. emotional we technically have to make a movie, don't mm-hmm. we? <laughs> yeah. We have to hit the plot points, but it's not about reaching those plot points naturally. And I guess that's what I would call manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. It's got like no heart. Uh-huh. There's nothing under the surface, yeah. you know? Got to check off those items. Yeah, yeah. And they're especially bad because they, they take like Dr. Zeus books. Oh, yeah. Whatever. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which which do have like a heart to them and somehow they manage to fuck that up. Yeah. In the translation. <laughs> True. Majorly. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen a single elimination film, honestly. You didn't even watch Lorax for the memes? No. For some reason, <laughs> that was the one that, like, caught on with the meme. Because it's got... The, it has, like... It's a musical for some reason. Oh. Um, I've so it has a bunch of, like, it. really bad pop songs and stuff. Oh, no. That people have really attached <laughs> themselves to. And, like, Stan. And there's, like, a whole deviant art community that's obsessed with like oh, other characters boy. did you say stan yeah yeah they like stan um the Wansler, i think it's called oh, okay i thought oh. when yeah, you said I... pop songs i thought you said they like made a rendition of eminem stan <laughs> and no. i was like that's in the lorax how did they work that into it <laughs> now that would be a movie yeah and like the 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 product placement thing is just the the funniest like oh, you just can't funny make too. this shit up like oh, satire yeah, yeah. is dead stuff with the mm-hmm. you know like the four by fours like because that's like conflicting with like the message in a way <laughs> yeah four by fours with the Lorax on them and stuff like that it's just <laughs> that's so funny you just can't let me see let's list of illumination movies you got hop you got the min- minions movies did they do horn here's a home 
That might have been a different studio. Uh, the Life of Pets. Holy fuck. They did Life of Pets. <laughs> yeah. I, did, I never saw those. The second yeah, one wow. is like, actually. Yeah. I've seen zero Illumination films. I think I'm going to keep that streak going. Yeah. No, I think I'm not tempted. As far as there's constant like trash animation coming out, but there's there's none that are as successful as Illumination. I guess that's what bothers me about it. Yeah. You know? They found they found the way to do it. Yep. So Despicable Me was like their first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That that one was successful. And it's not even that bad of a movie. It's just kinda standard kids movie fare. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't until the second one that it got really bad and then minions like yeah, you said, Alex, pointless hop. subplots. Yeah, hop was hop just like too far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've taken it too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my just, god, the Minions movie don't. had a worldwide gross of one point one five nine billion dollars. That's so good. Yeah, <laughs> people love that cute stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that's the part that irks me a bit. Billion billion dollar movie Minions. <laughs> <laughs> my god, and it just has no. It's like got no story. Like, what is that movie about, Ralph? They don't spend that much. No, they don't. None of it's their none of their budgets are over eighty million out of all yeah, of their no, films. This, mm-hmm. this is part. This is part of it. Yeah, no, the, the, the minions are designed in a way Very to simple. be cheap to animate. That's why. Yeah, yeah and copy and simple. paste a lot of the yeah. same like character a, model too. Yeah, yeah, they're reusing assets all the time. You see it in the background. That's even amazing. Houses and cars. And yeah, you know. it's so strategic. You know, good for them. Good for them. <laughs> I'm not even mad. If they want to, yeah. if they want to be like fucking business geniuses like Jason Blum, you know, like fucking do it. <laughs> I'm not watching these movies. Nobody's forcing me to. Do you think the animators are compensated for this? Oh, that's true. Yeah, maybe they should get a bit more of the pie. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see the breakdown of that. <laughs> Where all that fucking money's going. But... As said by Ralph Seppi earlier in this episode, capitalism. <laughs> 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 Quote Ralph Seppi. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> uh, that's the way it works, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do this one from Alfred Berta. What event from 2020 do you want to see as a film? Or as a person who lived through these <laughs> events, do you not want to see how these events are going to be portrayed in films? There's so many things that happened in 2020. Is there a Wikipedia list of everything that happened in 2020? Because there's a lot. I'm like, I'm going to be, be missing some of them. Holy shit. I wonder how movies are going to tackle like the mask thing. You know, like, everyone's it? just walking around yeah. with masks on. Like if you make a movie set in 2020. Is everyone going to walk around with masks on or without masks? Because it would be realistic for them to be wearing masks, but... Yeah, depending on... If it's in a small town, no. And if it's in a big city, then fucking 60% yeah, if it's of people. in Florida, then no. <laughs> in Florida, no one wears masks if the movie's set there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there would be no good reason to set your film in 2020 unless you're specifically making it about the pandemic or, you know, like a period piece on other events that happened during the pandemic. Exactly. So. I was thinking all last year, the best thing to do would probably be to make a period piece or make something on the future or just like fictional. Don't yeah. try to don't try to make 2020 into a thing. <laughs> yeah, don't make this a <laughs> thing. <laughs> Unless you want to make it a, like a contagion kind of movie, maybe that'd be interesting in like 2020. Yeah. There's a lot of shit that happened in 2020 yeah. despite the pandemic. I'm just trying to remember everything. There was like Kobe death at the beginning. There was They're like... already making like COVID movies. Isn't Michael Bay making a COVID kind of it's movie? It's not. No, he produced it and it's not COVID and it's stupid. I think it's already out. It's like some dumb. Yeah, somebody else directed it and he just slapped his name on it and it looks really stupid and it's already out and nobody paid attention. Like mm-hmm. nobody needs to see it. I forget what that was called <laughs> though. It looked super fucking low production value 
Mm-hmm. Let me. Let, I bet there is a list of notable events in 2020. I'm actually going to search it. I've got one, but it's you know it's not it's none of the obvious ones. Oh shit! You know, yeah. from 2020. Okay. At some point in 2020, they uh, rediscovered the the true form of the Spinosaurus. So I'd, I'd oh. be interested in seeing the behind the scenes of that. Maybe is there's it? some story. I know the uh, you know, the dinosaur community is pretty uh, hot and bothered. They like fighting. I'm sure there's some. Like great bone war tier story to be told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a couple interesting ones. There's a New York Post article on 2020 major events. The uh, Harvey Weinstein verdict. That could be like interesting. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Get fucking yeah. some random actor to put on a bunch of makeup and win the Oscar. You know, play Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. That's one I'd want a documentary more. So. Yeah. Yeah. Probably true. True. But I guess that's also technically a film. Yeah, true. You could make a really, really good comedy off of like the Kim Jong Un death rumors, and have like a movie about <laughs> like like Kim Jong Un dying and them putting out doubles and like pretending he's not dead. If that's what happened, nobody really knows right now. But do you remember the last time they tried that in a big comedy? Oh yeah, that was interview. Yeah, but I mean. I would when I think when I think good comedy I don't mean ones that like Seth Rogen's involved in you know I'm thinking of like good in my version of good uh fuck Epstein shit Ghislaine Maxwell all that shit going on oh my god yeah isn't that more 2019 uh I guess. no I mean it's I mean kind mm. of yes but like the mm. Maxwell stuff is 2020 for sure that's true okay I can definitely picture a bunch of events being told in like really crass stories. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of ways it could go wrong. Oh yeah, it's just it depend. It always just depends on who's behind it and what kind of intentions they have going into it. Yeah, the motive. Yeah, yeah. the Purge is a good 2020 movie, although that came out like years ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If I can talk about Trump getting COVID and. Make a movie about all the crazy drugs he took. <laughs> yeah, his secret Re- drugs. Regeneron. <laughs> yeah. Fucking baby fetuses. <laughs> Satanic prayers. I just kind of want to forget about 2020 as quickly as possible, you know? Done. Just move on. Yeah. <laughs> it's already behind me. I just hid in my house the whole year. Yeah, me too. I know what happened. <laughs> Still there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ghoul 17 has one for us. Thoughts on the new upcoming Aronofsky film? It stars yeah. Brendan Fraser as a 600-pound man secluded from the world, slowly eating himself alive. It's called The Whale. Hyped. Yeah. Sounds so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was reading the uh, on IMDb, its current story. It did sound very similar to The Wrestler, um, but obviously the the context is very mm. different with mm-hmm. the characters involved, so we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, I was, you know, just just hearing about, like, the actor and director and basic plot synopsis i was thinking kind of something similar to the wrestler yeah yeah i'm really curious to see if brendan fraser can i'm glad he's making another movie yeah after mother i'm glad he got money (laughs) i haven't seen him in a while i saw him in the poison rose which was like some straight to vod movie with john travolta and that was pretty bad but i'm I'm glad he's like found a real role again (laughs) you know i feel like he could be good yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, I'd like to see him in something really good. Like, yeah. is, does he have any like George of the Jungle? Like, what, what, what is it of Brendan Fraser's standout? The Mummy, obviously. The Mummy. The, the Mummy. Fucking was he in Crash? 
I think it was in Crash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. He's uh, ask fucking moist critical Charlie. He's. I'm sure he's got like a yeah. framed pictures of every one of Brendan Fraser's movies on his wall. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I immediately told him <laughs> about the news when I found out. He said it was fantastic <laughs> news. Anyway, I, I trust the director enough to be able to get something good out of Brendan Fraser, even if I don't think Brendan Fraser is a amazing actor independently of, of <laughs> other help, you know? Yeah. If he's being cast for it, then obviously Aronofsky, Aronofsky sees something in him. Yeah, this is one where the casting really has my eye. <laughs> it's like, mm. oh, how, how is this yeah. going to come together? It wouldn't be like a as huge of a story otherwise. Or I don't even know if this is a huge story, but like mm-hmm. it's intriguing me. Like this is, I'm hyped for it. I'm very excited to see it. Like, yeah. yeah. Good for Brendan Fraser. You know why his like uh, his Hollywood career kind of, it didn't end, but he stepped away from Hollywood for a few years. Yeah, Wasn't I, I kind of fucked up. Heard yeah. something. He was he tragic, was groped, but I don't remember. Apparently, by the former president of like HFPA. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fucked up. Really? You know? Yeah, and that like put him off for a while. But I'm glad like he's coming back in like a real film. That actually has me kind of excited to like see him yeah. again. Yeah, I, yeah. I uh, skimmed through his IMDb. Like he never stopped acting per se i mean like he's he's just in a bunch of like really smaller like he's in some tv show yeah much right smaller now. scale like i poison rose like those kinds of things yeah he wouldn't get big gigs like the mummy anymore and yeah i think that i think that affected his career yeah he was like a real big movie star for a time yeah yeah it, it shows you kind of how hollywood is how fucked up it is yeah yeah i don't know it's like you could say the same thing about michael keaton you know, mm-hmm. just some people just slowly kind of mm-hmm. disappear because <laughs> I don't know, maybe they get like a couple movies in a row that just didn't do great financially. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And then the studio is like, well, I guess that means that nobody wants to see them anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you can say the same thing about Nicolas Cage, but now he's like doing a comeback. Same with Keanu, where it's like, yeah, just because of the rules that they're in, like people cast them for these like schlocky kind of like horror action things that people are like oh yeah of course i want to keep seeing this person in movies you know where they just Mm -hmm. move towards lower budget things but now those are just doing incredibly well financially yeah yeah and then keanu goes into cyberpunk (laughs) (laughs) uh jay has one for us well boys I wanted to know what your thoughts on HBO's Euphoria is. You slated cringy OTT teen shows like 13 Reasons, but I think Euphoria represents the youth in a much better way and has stunning visuals. Well, I just finished it on Saturday. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Ralph, did you see it? I watched one episode. Very interesting. And I love Sydney Sweeney. Oh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> well, I guess I'll look it up. I really wished I'd I'd seen it before watching the last season of Thirteen Reasons Why because it's it is such a good show to contrast of like oh th- this is how you kind of do this in a much I know. <laughs> more creative original way yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the, the the presentation of it is so like frenetic and it really like captures the the like age range much better with the like music choices and just like what they're saying yeah, the camera work is really cool oh i love the cinematography yeah. that's like one of the my favorite parts yeah and the lighting too yeah that's my favorite part of it yeah is how it's presented yeah this isn't really a spoiler but like every single episode opens up with like this sequence of yeah, like that's what I was about to say. narration voiceover and just so much energy and it's so quick and you're getting so many different locations and scenarios Focusing on like one character at a time, basically fleshing out their backstory 
before the real plot of the episode begins every time. And it's like, man, I would love to see more of that. I love those types of it's things. It's such a good idea. And the camera work is just so impressive, the way that they transition from one shot to the next, and just, like, so much energy in the music, and, like, it's got such a great vibe to it. I really love it. Yeah, that that intro thing is, is such a good idea. Because mm-hmm. you really keep track of the characters too because it's quite an ensemble oh, yeah. cast so there's a lot going on so having you like learn the the, the group gets like fleshed out more as mm-hmm. the episodes go on and you get those those intros and they're like oh what, who are you going to get this time it's really exciting yeah yeah great show it, it's a very sensible way to flesh out these characters when if you tried to incorporate these exact same bits of information into like the actual story of any given episode by either dialogue or flashbacks like that might just seem like a little bit clunky but because of how it's structured and it's like okay well this little intro is just dedicated time for that and it doesn't seem out of place it's almost kind of like weirdly omniscient in a way you know with the narration Mm -hmm. coming from the main character who a lot of these things like you know she probably wouldn't know Mm -hmm. but it works really well i love it it's there's a lot of great yeah. stuff going on in the show and you can tell the series creator sam levinson you can tell it's like a really personal project for him you can mm-hmm. t- you, it's so obvious that there's so much of himself in the story and the characters that he's written yeah i'd seen one of his films assassination mm-hmm. nation which i noticed was very similar in like theme oh, yeah? and how it tackled like un- the youth of america oh, really? kind of okay yeah, this uh, that movie's about like a bunch of like teenage girls and they like start shooting up their fucking, you know, neighborhood and it's about like yeah. social media and Yeah. I didn't see that it looked kind of bad. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's definitely it, it's out there and there's mm-hmm. some elements I really like to it. Um but Euphoria, I feel Euphoria is definitely better at tackling those kinds mm-hmm. of things. It's a little more subtle, a little more realistic. Yeah. Zendaya is very good in it too. I've never seen her like Zend- actually act. Zendaya. <laughs> Zendaya. Yeah, yeah. She's a really good main character. I know. I was so happy to see her do something that wasn't Spider-Man. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. I'd only see her in Spider-Man and like she did this show on Disney Channel like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like it's actually see her like she's in a real yeah. role. It's like, oh, she's actually pretty good. And, she's yeah. great. Yeah. Very yeah. fitting for the role. She pulls it off perfectly. Mm-hmm. perfect like a loof main character yeah yeah everyone's very believable in their part mm-hmm. which you know it's like a high school kind of drama i think that helps yeah it's like it's so great at capturing like current youth sort of yeah just think idea. of 13 mm-hmm. reasons why like compared to exactly that shit. <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah it makes it even funnier well because they incorporate things like you know so many times in the show this isn't really a spoiler but like certain characters at different points it's like people just share each other's nudes all the time. And, you know, sometimes it's like a bigger deal. Sometimes it's not a bigger Mm -hmm. deal, but it's like, that's like a real (laughs) like consequence of like growing up in the digital age where like nothing's private anymore. And like people can weaponize parts of your life against you and social media and stuff. And it doesn't do it in like a weird, cheesy forced way. It's just, it tackles these subjects really, really well. I love how they approach these things and, it was only after I finished the entire series recently that I was like, man, 13 Reasons Why I really fucking... I mean, like, it had always sucked, but, like, when I started comparing the two, because I, I was thinking, like, yeah, this they tackled this issue and this issue and this issue. It's like there's a lot of the same issues that were tackled over, you know, this yeah. one mini series versus uh, or this one season versus four seasons of 13 Reasons Why. 
a lot of the same issues were tackled just like one of them was manipulative calling that back and one of them wasn't as much really mm. and yeah. based around a gimmick yeah they trap themselves because 13 reasons why about like a debt yeah yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it just makes no sense to continue it beyond that it, it's made for that audience of like teenagers too this is definitely a much more mature show it's hbo there's lots of drugs and nudity and like all this shit yeah and and i think that helps a lot in like establishing a realistic world um composed compared to 13 reasons why which is very sanitized yeah it feels like a bunch of 20 somethings pretending to be in high school whereas yeah actually feels more kind of legitimate mm-hmm. it's very raw it actually gets some like visceral emotions out of you yeah yeah like, oh shit yeah and i'm giving euphoria an eight out of ten i haven't seen the whole thing i won't rate it but i like it it's yeah i'd good. probably give it about an eight too <laughs> i had some criticisms with it here and there not nothing like huge but yeah awesome show everybody should check it out malcolm and marie coming soon same director and zendaya and uh tenet guy <laughs> the, guy guy. Tenet. <laughs> Tenet guy, nice. the protagonist john david washington yeah yeah okay. tenant guy okay let's do this one then from greenhood 300 hey hey sards have you seen any of the jendy oh god tartofsky works I've, I've only ever read his name. I've, like, never said it out loud. He is the Stanley Kubrick of animation. His works are Samurai Jack, Clone Wars 2003, Symbiotic Titan, Dexter's Lab, the Hotel Transylvania trilogy, and his new show, Primal. And no, Ralph, it doesn't have Nick Cage. Yeah, that's the show. I, I know. <laughs> Primal and Nick Cage is bad, yeah. I've, yeah, I've been a long-time fan of him. I, mm-hmm. I think his art uh, kind of style is, is so, like, recognizable. And yeah you know expressive i i love the like clone wars show and uh dexter's lab yeah and, but even yeah. like the hotel transylvania movies are weirdly good um, okay yeah. the first one i like it just purely in terms of like the art direction and the, the actual okay. animation and the like frenetic nature of it because it, in primal too it, it's like mm-hmm. a, about like a caveman and a like a dinosaur kind of teaming up okay which sounds stupid but they sell it man <laughs> it, but the animation is so impressive his his creativity is holds no bounds. You know? I, I can't say I'm a fan of him, mm-hmm. but I've seen almost all of his stuff, and that's just from it being so like in the forefront of animation. Like Samurai Jack, I remember watching. Yeah. Dexter's Laboratory, I remember. Um, all those other things. Hotel Transylvania is actually pretty good, even though that's like an Adam Sandler kind of thing. Yeah. No, surprisingly good. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was involved with... Uh... Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, those two things I love when oh, I was Powerpuff younger, Girls, especially. Okay. Not yeah. the new Powerpuff Girls, that's different and bad, <laughs> but the old one was <laughs> great. Yeah, I watched both of those things growing up and really loved it, both of them, for their humor and their style and, you know, very, very uh, unique, very uh, <laughs> distinct. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very distinct. Yes, immediately distinct. Yeah. I watched a bit of Samurai Jack growing up. Nothing, I, I like. I always appreciated the style of it. I was always like, "Oh, this is an interesting thing." It was like cool that you know there was like a good amount of uh, maturity from it, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I never really. Yeah. There wasn't a lot that like hooked me on it. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, religiously watch it or anything. I've just seen bits and pieces. Yeah. yeah. I think it went over my head because I was so young watching it but i really liked it i thought the animation was cool yeah i just couldn't follow the story or anything (laughs) yeah i don't think there was Mm -hmm. a whole lot of story (laughs) 
from what I remember. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> in Samurai really, Jack. Really good at action. I might be wrong. Dexter's but... lap was really funny though. <laughs> I'm I noticed the I noticed the animation similarities, like the style of all of them. But there's a lot of variety too, tone and genre. Mm-hmm. Samurai Jack's very mature. Powerpuff Girls is very like friendly. Dexter's Lab is I, I love Dexter's Lab. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Oh, it's, it's awesome, a very man. funny yeah. show. Yeah. I'm let the fromage. I'm let the fromage. Did you see his Star Wars show? Mm, Which is it? Did I you see that? that as a kid? Uh, his Star Wars show, Clone the, the Clone Wars show. Oh, I've actually seen yeah. some of that too. People Not love religiously, that. but I've seen a few episodes. Yeah, people love that shit. Yeah, it's genuinely kind of sick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes it way cooler than a. Uh, anything that's in the movies because okay, cool. I remember that mm-hmm. coming out before the movies or something like before the third movie so I was like whoa this like this General Grievous guy damn <laughs> and, then, and then the movie's kind <laughs> of funny the rest is history <laughs> yeah the movie's terrible he's in there for five minutes yeah I don't know I would say Stanley Kubrick of animation is a little much <laughs> based on what I've seen yeah, I'm not the biggest fan <laughs> of that I, I'm not sure I would give that title but I mean, why can he yeah, not just be like himself good... anyway? Why do you yeah, have to... fuck that. <laughs> exactly. Good point, Alex. Thank He's you. He's an excellent artist and a very, very talented and successful artist. Yeah. The yeah. new Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not tired, yeah, isn't it? New Spielberg. Yeah. He does for animation what sharks did to grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a little confused now. <laughs> You've said it so many times. <laughs> Is that not the quote? <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. I don't know if I would ever just watch something because his name's on it, though. I'm. I don't think I'm gonna watch Hotel Transylvania. I don't care how much you guys say it's good. I don't think I'm ever gonna watch it. I wouldn't recommend it for you. Yeah. Considering I was walking into Thank it you. like dreading it, it was actually kind of funny and, and enjoyable. Primal okay. seems interesting. That seems more up my alley yeah. for a mature audience. Yeah, I think animation nerds, especially, like really mm-hmm. love his his place and in, in history. You know. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right, I guess that does it for questions. Thank you so much. And I believe we've got a recommendation. I believe it's Ralph's turn to recommend a film. Oh, it is. Cool. Um, I'm going to recommend a film from a director we've seen before, Tarantino. (gasps) (laughs) And that movie is uh, from 1997 called Jackie Brown. Oh, shit. Awesome. All right. So check out Jackie Brown. I think it's streaming on Pluto TV, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah, what the fuck <laughs> what? is that? Uh, I got a Blu-ray somewhere. Yeah, I have a Blu-ray. Go watch, guys. Yeah, everyone can find it. Yeah, Jackie Brown, Tarantino movie. It's one of the ones people haven't seen as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've only seen it, I think, once or twice. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Been meaning to rewatch it. Okay, awesome. So if you don't want to be spoiled for Jackie Brown, directed by Quanton Tarantuni, Check it out before the next episode of this podcast. These episodes air every two weeks. You can listen to them early by going to sardonicast.com. Sign up for premium. It's $2 a month. You get them as they're edited. Also, patreon.com slash sardonicast. Also, we got merch. Yeah. Sign up. Buy our merch or I'll slap your phone Fucking out of your hand. <laughs> like Tarantino. <laughs> do something terrible if you don't get our merch. I'm not going to tell you. You'll just have to find out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. 2001. Bye, thanks, everybody. 2001, <laughs> they'll say. 2001, <laughs> they'll say. Bye bye. 2001, they'll say. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>